guys, welcome back to the Beck and Call podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Beck. I am a longtime fashion blogger and a single woman in my 30s who loves to chat all things life, work, and love. So I wanted to bring that to life on this podcast. You can consider the Beck and Call podcast a weekly catch up with your internet bestie, where I discuss recent recs and reviews, answer listener questions, and discuss fun, interesting topics relevant to women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond. Each episode follows the same structure with dedicated segments you can rely on week after week. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Well, guys, I am back in Texas after an incredible week in Carlsbad. I am feeling very refreshed, but also very accomplished. Unlike my July trip out there, I didn't fully take off work, which actually provided a little more structure to my days out there, and I really enjoyed that. I spent my mornings doing a combo of computer work, and then I also got in a long workout. I ate a healthy lunch at the villa and then hit the pool in the afternoon before getting ready for a nice dinner out, and it was the ideal balance of work and play for me. As much as I like to think I enjoy being lazy and not having a bunch of plans, and I do to a certain extent, I really prefer having a routine and some structure to my days. It just keeps me feeling grounded, and I ended up just enjoying myself way more than I did on my trip in July. Doing just one meal out each night made those meals feel even more special, and it helped me stay on track eating healthy meals the other two meals of the day. I came home with zero guilt yesterday, and I still got to fully enjoy my trip and all of the great restaurants I love to visit when I'm out there. Another thing I did a lot of on this trip was lounge around in my robe. After finishing up at the pool each day, I showered and then just sat in my robe for like an hour and a half or two hours before getting ready for dinner. And I don't know why, but I never do that at home, but I definitely should start. It was so relaxing and luxurious. It felt like such a special treat since at home, I'm always feeling like go, go, go. It was just nice to not have an agenda or somewhere to be. I loved it so much, I was tempted to swipe the fluffy robe from the villa to bring it home with me. I didn't, I swear, but I definitely thought about it. You've already heard about my day-to-day routine on my trip, but let's go through what I actually did when I left the property. So on Sunday, I drove down to La Jolla to visit my Theta little sis from college, Lara, who recently moved to the area after a decade of living in New York and Connecticut. I didn't even know that she was living there, but happened to bump into her on my trip in July while I was eating lunch at La Valencia in La Jolla. I told her I was coming back in September, so she invited me to come over, catch up, see her house, meet her son, and it was so much fun getting to hang out with her and hear about her life these days. She is not on social media, and neither of us have done a really great job staying in touch before this, so I truly had no idea what she's been up to since I saw her at her wedding back in, I think, 2013 or 2014. So I loved getting to reconnect with her, and I'm so happy to know she's in the area for the next times that I visit Carlsbad. After I left her house, I ventured over to Westfield UTC, which is a nice shopping center to shop around before dinner at Din Tai Fung. As soon as I knew I'd be visiting Lara and La Jolla on Sunday, I looked up Din Tai Fung to see if they had any reservations available, because they always have an insane wait, which I'm sure you're like, why would a mall restaurant be so popular? Trust me, it's so freaking delicious. If you're at all a fan of soup dumplings, noodles, really just Chinese food, you've got to try Din Tai Fung. My very favorite things to order are the Zhao Long Bao, which are their traditional soup dumplings, and the garlicky green beans, and then the chocolate Zhao Long Bao for dessert. It will blow your mind. They also serve this incredible like garlic chili paste that you can make your own sauce out of at the table, which they serve with vinegar and soy sauce. So you can kind of figure out the levels you want of each flavor. I love making a thick mixture of that to dip the green beans in. Oh my God, guys, (laughs) my whole mouth is filling with water just talking about it. But like I said, if you want to go to Din Tai Fung, I highly recommend making a reservation weeks in advance. If not, you should be prepared to wait and also just get there early because there's usually a pretty long wait. On Monday night, I drove to Del Mar to grab dinner with Kelly, who is my friend and fellow podcaster, Kate Kennedy's sweet sister. I met her for the first time in January when they were all in Dallas for Kate's Be There in Five live show. I was so excited to have a new friend who lives near San Diego to hang out with when I'm in Carlsbad on solo trips. We grabbed dinner at Brigantine, which is the casual spot known for its seafood. Kelly got the halibut and loved it. 
And I got the sand dabs. And the only other time I've ordered sand dabs is in Carmel. And to be honest, they are better there. The ones at Brigantine were too heavily breaded and there wasn't enough sauce on it. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't great. With that said, I do love their calamari strips, which we ordered as an app. I don't discriminate with calamari, but I much prefer the texture and bite of strips versus rings. Kelly was so sweet, pun intended, because she brought me some pumpkin bread that she'd baked from scratch and we didn't end up getting dessert. So that was a nice surprise and treat to eat when I got home. So thank you to Kelly for that. On Tuesday night, I had a solo dinner at Waverly, which is a cute restaurant in Cardiff that's become one of my favorites in the area, both for the ambiance and the food. I always come back for the Caesar salad, which comes with these mascarpone stuffed brioche croutons, which is sort of a mouthful, but they are insane. I also ordered the halloumi fries, which were tasty, but I wish they'd been served with a sauce. There was a little bit of something on the plate with them, but it was more for decoration and there wasn't enough to actually dip them in. So that would be my one critique, but they were still tasty. And then I also ordered dessert that night and went with the chocolate cake since I'd gotten the caramel budino before. I love the budino, but I'm glad I mixed things up and tried something new. It was basically a small molten chocolate lava cake with chocolate cookie crumbles and an Oreo chocolate ice cream, which on the menu kind of said was their version of the Oreo McFlurry. So naturally I had to try it. Definitely sinful. I enjoyed every bite, but I am glad I got the salad to to balance out the uh, fried halloumi and the dessert. On Wednesday, I grabbed dinner at Valentina with a podcast listener, actually, who I met at my Chicago meetup in early 2020. She moved out to California recently and reached out about grabbing dinner since I was going to be here solo. And I figured, why not? So (laughs) invited her to join in on the reservation I'd made at Valentina. We ordered the artichokes a la plancha, gambas a la hio, which is that spicy garlic shrimp you may remember me mentioning in July. Uh, We also ordered ham croquettes and cauliflower raclette, all things I've had before and loved. We also tried the bluefin carpaccio, which I thought I would love, but wasn't a huge fan of. The tuna was very fresh, so no complaints there. But I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago when talking about the Mexican in Dallas, but I always sort of expect a citrus or fruit element to the flavor when it comes to a raw fish dish like carpaccio or crudo just to cut the savory flavor, because there's usually always savory going on with a ponzu or a soy sauce or whatever other toppings they have. And like I said, the carpaccio at Valentina was fresh, but again, it just lacked another flavor element and just tasted savory, which maybe some people like, but I guess that's just not my jam when it comes to raw fish. So going forward, now that I've had that experience a couple of times, I'm just going to know that if it doesn't feature some kind of fruit or citrusy element, I'm not going to order it because I just don't love it. We didn't have dessert there because I told her about Jojo's Creamery, which is down the street. So we both drove to go grab some ice cream to end the night. I got my usual mint cookies and cream and peanut butter cup. Their ice cream is so good. It's homemade and fantastic. And they serve it with a fresh cookie. They're little mini cookies that they serve with ice cream. It's just delightful. I know I said I ate all of my lunches at the villa in an attempt to stay healthy on this trip, but I did make one exception on Thursday. I drove to La Jolla again to the La Valencia Hotel just for their ahi poke nachos. I had them for the first time in July. My sister and I both ordered them for our lunch then, and now we're both totally obsessed. It's basically a mountain of crispy wonton chips topped with giant chunks of fresh tuna and sprinkled with sesame seeds, some kind of microgreens, and then there's like a generous pour of spicy aioli. It is so incredible. It is so delicious. Like I will always go back there for that. I hope they never take it off the menu. Thursday was also pretty cloudy. So I ended up just staying in the San Diego La Jolla area. And I went to Fashion Valley to shop around instead of back to the property to go to the pool. I ended up having a lot of fun trying on new fall pieces at Nordstrom and shared a try on over on my personal Instagram account. So if you missed that or just want to check out what I tried on and then what I bought, go over to at Merritt Beck. It's M-E-R-R-I-T-T-B-E-C-K on Instagram. I've added a story highlight on my profile called Try On. So you can check that out. Lots of cute finds. I, I left with three items and I'm very happy with what I got. On Thursday night, I ventured out again for dinner at Market, which is definitely my favorite restaurant in the area. My family and I have been going to that restaurant for years, and it's always sort of been a go-to of ours for a birthday dinner. My birthday's in July, so that would kind of always be my choice if we were having a birthday dinner out there. 
or just any kind of celebratory or nicer dinner out. The service is unmatched, like so incredible. The cocktails and wine list are to die for, and the food is farm to table fresh. I truly cannot recommend this restaurant enough. When going as a group, we usually make a reservation for the dining room. It features low lighting and definitely has more of a fine dining feel in there with a prefix menu. But since I was going by myself, I made a reservation in the lounge, which has been newly renovated and has a slightly more casual vibe, which none of us have ever done before. So I was kind of testing it out for us for the next time we're all there. But everyone was still dressed just as nicely and the service was just as amazing. The main difference was that it is not a prefixed menu, it's all a la carte, and that the lounge also has a sushi menu on top of the a la carte menu. So now that I've done the dining room and the lounge, I prefer the lounge. It's a little more lively, the ambiance is a little more fresh and chic, and you get a little more wiggle room with your food order. So when I first sat down, I ordered a cocktail called the Passiflore, which, or Passiflore, whatever you want to call it, which was a passion fruit cocktail that immediately transported me to the Four Seasons, Georges Sock, and Paris. If you listen to my London and Paris trip recap in June, you'll know I fell head over heels for the most insanely delicious passion fruit cocktail that I enjoyed in their hotel bar. It's like the market recreated the cocktail recipe because it tasted identical and had the same magical, dreamy flavored foam on top. It's like drinking a dessert, but in the best way. It's sweet in that it's fruity sweet. It's not like additive sweet, but it's so, so good. I savored every single sip. While enjoying my cocktail, I also dug into their famous mini corn muffins, which they serve in a bread basket with super soft butter. They are so moist and fluffy and something I literally dream about. My sister and I will fight over those (laughs) when we go eat there together. They are so moist and fluffy, like I said. For my appetizer, I ordered the BLT salad, which is served with gem lettuce, bacon lardons, and the most fresh and flavorful tomatoes. And also, it's served with a half white cheddar grilled cheese. It's the most heavenly combination of flavors. It's also my mom's favorite appetizer. For my entree, I ordered the beef tenderloin, which was cooked perfectly and served with a mushroom roasty. And then last but not least, I ordered the lemon tart for dessert. Unsurprisingly, everything was exquisite. I definitely want to go back the next time I'm in town to try their sushi since I didn't that time, but the table next to mine ordered it and it looked so fresh and beautiful. So if you live near or are visiting the San Diego area, you 100% must put the market on your list. Like I said, can't recommend it enough. I've never had a bad meal there. The service is amazing. The food is incredible. It's truly just like a one of a kind experience. On Friday, it stayed pretty cloudy all day, so I took the opportunity to veg out in the villa for a while. I took a long bath, did a face mask, watched Twilight, which happened to be on TV. I started packing, and I got a little work done. And then the sun did decide to come out for a few hours, so I went over to the pool just for maybe two hours, just to get a little less bit of sun in there. And then I got ready and drove back to La Jolla for dinner with my friend Kat and her family to celebrate her daughter's third birthday. And it was so much fun. It was very casual, but um, it was fun catching up with her and her husband, Drew, and seeing their kids. I love them. They're so funny and talkative. Uh, I love it when kids like really converse with you and they were all very eager to (laughs) chat and talk to me. So that was fun. (laughs) And then my flight home on Saturday wasn't until 3 p.m. So I got up and worked out. I showered. I finished packing before driving over to Encinitas for one last meal at the Potato Shack. The Potato Shack is also a must, especially if you love breakfast. The menu gives off kind of a diner vibe, so think biscuits and gravy, manhole-sized pancakes, and the like. It's super delicious and a place we always go when my family is out here, but as you can probably guess, it's not the healthiest, so I always try to save it for like one of the last days of my trip to like really treat myself. It's very casual and cash only, but I'm pretty sure they have an ATM inside if you happen to forget cash. I order, at least the last few times I've gone, I've ordered the same thing. I get two scrambled eggs, two sausage patties with a side of gravy. I love a biscuits and gravy, but because I'm just like trying to not eat a ton of bread these days, I decided to forgo the biscuits and just put the gravy all over my eggs and sausage. And it's really, really good. (laughs) I really recommend it. But It was the perfect send off back to Texas. My flight was on time. I got some work done in the airport. I got there a little early and then started a new book on the flight, which we will get into in the next segment. 
But overall, it was such an amazing trip. Like I said earlier, I'm really glad to have kind of figured out a routine that works for me because I do have three weeks out there every year and I struggle with balance when it comes to eating healthy, but also wanting to really enjoy myself and indulge at restaurants and finding like a workout routine and a level of work with, you know, my job that kind of works for me while I'm out there. That was really nice to kind of hammer out this week while I was there by myself. And now going forward, I kind of have a plan. (laughs) You guys know I love a plan. I'm such a planner and a control freak. So (laughs) it was a great trip. I'm so happy. And like I said, feeling refreshed. I felt like I got stuff done. And it was just a really, really wonderful time and makes me excited for my next trip there, which probably won't be until next summer, but at least I know what I'm going to be doing. While I didn't watch any new TV shows or movies on my trip, I did finish two audiobooks and started a third. The first one I listened to was The Hotel Nantucket by Elon Hildebrand. I didn't really read what the book was about before I started it, and I'm glad I didn't because I'm not sure I would have selected it. This book is about an old, apparently haunted hotel in Nantucket that was purchased and refurbished by a British billionaire. It follows each member of the staff, so the general manager, front desk attendants, cleaning staff, bellboys, etc., on their journey to being hired at the hotel, their experiences throughout the first season the hotel is opened with the various guests, and their lives outside of the hotel. So in addition to being just a delightful and entertaining read, this book is kind of a story about humanity and being part of a team and how your lives become intertwined with the people you work with. It shows how each of their backstories become part of their shared identity as coworkers with a common goal. And like I said, how their lives intertwine and how they get to know and understand each other. The book has it all. There's a solid love story, a couple of redemption storylines several scandals, a good underdog, and a ghost story. (laughs) I truly loved every minute of the Hotel Nantucket and can't recommend it enough. I also really loved the narrator and think she did a fantastic job bringing the characters to life in the audiobook version. Since that book was fairly lighthearted, I decided I needed a thriller or something more suspenseful next, so I started Lying Next to Me, which is about a man whose wife is abducted and murdered when they're on vacation on Memorial Day weekend. And it's told from the perspective of the husband, the cop that's investigating, another man, and that other man's wife. So it's a little confusing listening to the audiobook only because I feel like every few chapters it's somebody new and you just sort of have to remember who it is. There are different narrators, which helps you start to recognize the voices after a while. But that was a little confusing. If you stop paying attention for a minute, you might not know who's talking and whose perspective it is, but I did find it enjoyable. It was a good story. I can't say I loved all of the narrators in the audiobook. Connor's voice was particularly annoying to me. I didn't I didn't think he did a great job, but I still liked the book. I would probably maybe suggest it uh, a book to read versus listen to. I think it might have been uh, more thrilling that way. I just I, I found the narrator to kind of they, they just I don't know, didn't click with me, but still enjoyed it. So if you like a thriller or a mystery, definitely check out Lying Next to Me. And then the second I finished Lying Next to Me on Saturday, I started Token Black Girl by Danielle Prescott. I pre-ordered her highly anticipated memoir last month and the audiobook version was finally released on Friday. So I was so excited to start it. You guys know I'm an audiobook person, but I especially love memoirs narrated by the author. It just feels so much more personal, and they really give life to their story like nobody else could. I have followed Danielle on Instagram for several years now, but before that, I knew who she was thanks to her illustrious career in the fashion industry as an editor for publications like Harper's Bazaar, Elle Magazine, Town & Country, and more. Her memoir, Token Black Girl, tells of her experience as the token black girl growing up in a mostly white and affluent community, followed by a career in a mostly white industry. I tore through a big portion of the book on my flight Saturday and my walk this morning. I'm recording this on Sunday, FYI, but I still have about four hours left. I'm already sad at the prospect of it ending. It's been so interesting and eye-opening to hear Danielle talk through her, the many moments in her childhood and adolescence that framed her narrative about her own race and how she should feel about herself, her body, her background, from the way the media and entertainment industry played a role to experiences with her friends and loved ones and moments at school. And while I haven't gotten there yet, I do know she delves into her experience working in the fashion industry as well. 
So I can't wait to hear what she has to say about that. But while the subject matter is serious and shocking in many moments, Danielle is such a witty writer and the flow of the book feels conversational and is such a pleasure to read. Some of the things that struck me most were things that should be so obvious to all of us, but just aren't. For example, the fact that in all of the Harry Potter books, which Danielle is also a big fan of, the only time you hear about a person's skin color is when noting diversity. When J.K. Rowling refers to Dean Thomas or Angelina Johnson, she refers to them as black students, while everyone else's skin color is just assumed to be white and never mentioned at all. Another point she brought up is how the desired ballet aesthetic is centered on whiteness. The point of ballet and point shoes being a soft pink color is so that they'll blend into your skin and disappear. But that's only possible for people with white skin. Hair must be worn in a sleek bun, which is challenging for dancers with hair that couldn't naturally achieve this look. And there's obviously a big element of exclusivity in the ballet industry. So I just found that really interesting. There are so many things like this that Danielle discovered and pointed out that as a white person, I never would have thought about or even considered because everything simply has worked for me and was centered around me being white. Another moment from the book that struck me was how she was desperate to get out of swimming in high school PE because of how it would affect her chemically straightened hair, which she'd done to fit in more with her classmates. Getting it wet would ruin it. She knew she couldn't express this to her teacher at a wealthy, mostly white school, so she just found ways to get herself out of class. All of her white classmates would swim, shower, and then just come to class with wet hair, a process that might take them 15, 20 minutes. But if Danielle were to do the same, it would require hours of manipulation to get her hair looking, quote unquote, appropriate again after getting it wet. She was so desperate to be accepted by her peers, she would do just about anything to keep people from focusing on her race. Therefore, she'd do anything to get out of swimming and other activities like that where it could potentially become a focus. There are so many instances like this in her book that are so heartbreaking to hear about, but it's such an important listen. Like I said, I still have a few hours left, but it's safe to say this book is a must read. I'm really, really enjoying it and finding it incredibly inspirational, educational, but also entertaining thanks to Danielle's quick wit. So get your hands on Token Black Girl ASAP. I'll be sure to round up my thoughts next week once I finish the book, but bravo, Danielle. Love, love the book. On Friday night, Hocus Pocus 2 came out exclusively on Disney+. Plus. So naturally, that was the first thing I wanted to watch when I got home from the airport on Saturday. Sequels are always hit or miss, especially with this kind of movie, but I think they did a fantastic job with Hocus Pocus 2. It was so funny to see the Sanderson sisters back again, and I loved how they incorporated modern, I'm using air quotes, magic that surprised the sisters, like the automatic sliding doors at Walgreens, the rumba, and the idea that anti-aging skincare products contained the lifeblood of children. (laughs) it, It was just very clever. I found most of the movie pretty hysterical, but I've never been a fan of the musical segments. I hated them in the first one, too. There weren't many in this movie, but I could have done without the performance on stage and the crowd turning into a dance mob. But overall, it's a great watch for kids and for adults, if only for the nostalgia from loving the first movie in the 90s. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was very delightful and entertaining. Before we get into this week's topic, let's hear a word from our sponsors. earlier, but I'm really happy to have figured out a routine that works for me on my trips out to Carlsbad. I have long struggled with balance in terms of enjoying myself while also staying healthy, and I think the setup of doing a healthy breakfast and lunch at home with a fun dinner out each night is the key. That way dinners feel special and I can eat what I want, but the rest of the day I'm sticking with healthy whole foods and staying on track. Another thing that is key for keeping me on track when traveling is AG1 from Athletic Greens. One scoop of AG1 is full of 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. It's the first thing I have in the morning. I just add one scoop of AG1 to eight ounces of really cold water and throw it back on an empty stomach. I love that it's such an easy micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing I can do every single day to take care of myself. AG1 is lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It also contains less than one gram of sugar and features no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything. 
I can definitely tell a difference in my energy levels since I started using AG1, especially since I stopped drinking coffee. It gets me going and gives me an energy boost before my morning workouts. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash beckandcall. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash beckandcall to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Before we get into this week's topic, I wanted to share a friendly reminder and encourage you to share the Beck and Call podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Word of mouth recommendations from listeners are so powerful and meaningful. So thank you to those of you who have suggested the podcast to your friends, coworkers, family members, etc. It's very appreciated and helps me grow the podcast, which can often be a slow, slow going game. So thank you for your continued support. It does not go unnoticed and means the world to me. I know I often avoid fashion questions and topics on this podcast, mostly because it's a hard one to cover in an audio only format. But this week, I'm going to do a dedicated segment on keeping up with fashion. We'll be talking about what to invest in and save on, current trends, ones that have grown on me and ones I still dislike, things that I've regretted buying, and more. In addition to discussing these topics, I also polled my Instagram audience for questions, and we'll be answering those at the end of the segment. As always, if you have any additional questions I didn't answer here, please call into the Beck and Call hotline at 214 620-0473 or submit them via email to info at beckandcallpodcast.com. First, let's chat about what to invest in. And I say invest in air quotes because I know that's a silly word to use when it comes to stocking your wardrobe. First of all, just a reminder, we all have different lifestyles and therefore need different things. For example, I work for myself, so I don't need to buy corporate office attire. Some of you listening, however, might need to spend more money on your work clothing, whereas others of you might be stay-at-home moms and prefer more athleisure clothing since you spend so much time in that. All of that to say, we all want and need different things, so what I recommend may not be something that interests you, but here are the things that I personally like to invest in most. Handbags and shoes, quality denim, and cashmere sweaters. I personally believe the handbag and shoes you choose can make or break an outfit. No matter how nice your clothing looks, if your bag or your shoes look cheap, it can make the whole outfit look cheap. And again, that's just my opinion, not trying to shit on anyone. And I'm not saying you need to buy bags and shoes at designer prices to achieve a quality look, but I do think it's easy to spot when a pair of shoes or handbag looks cheap, like the construction isn't generally that great or the fabric is almost always synthetic. But there are so many brands like Schutz and Sam Edelman and Vince Camuto and Mark Fisher that offer stylish silhouettes at solid price points. Those are great brands to consider if you're wanting to up your shoe game but don't have a ton of budget to spend in that area. But if you don't mind spending a little more, also check out LaRude. It's sort of a newer line. I think it's by a former fashion director or editor at Barney's. But anyway, she started her own shoe line and I love the styles. They're gorgeous and very well made. As far as bags go, some labels to check out include Kuyana, Cult Gaia, Oriton, and Frame. But I just think, you know, a nice handbag, quality shoes can really make a look, take it to the next level, make even just the most casual tee and jeans look, look fabulous. So that would be my first piece of advice. I also think spending more on quality denim that fits you right is 100% worth it, especially if you wear jeans a lot like I do in the fall winter. I've tried jeans from Levi's, Mango, Everlane, J. Crew, Madewell, etc., and nothing fits me as well or flatters my bottom half like the jeans I own from Citizens of Humanity or A. Goldie. They don't lose their shape and stretch out like the less expensive brands do, and the back pocket placement, length, and rise just look better on me. My saddlebags, hips, and butt are an area I'm personally self-conscious about, so I'm willing to shell out more money to find the right fit and look, and so I always am happy to spend a little bit more on denim. The other item I absolutely love to invest in is a high-quality, cozy cashmere sweater. For me, it's about both comfort and appearance. So while I've certainly found cheaper sweaters from time to time that I've loved, I find cashmere to be the most comfortable and soft on, and they generally look a lot nicer than synthetic blends and tend to hold up better. That's just my opinion again. But the things I love to save on include tees and tanks, trendy or super seasonal dresses, and casual jackets. 
I get most of my teas and tanks from Everlane and the BP brand at Nordstrom. Might surprise you, but I like them. What can I say? I often find great seasonal dresses from Mango, Vince Camuto, designer collaborations at Target, casual jackets like my utility jackets, jean jackets, linen blazers, etc. I've purchased from Madewell, Topshop, Amazon's The Drop, um, just a variety of kind of less expensive brands. Now let's talk about some things I've regretted buying in recent years. The outliers are always items I don't end up wearing much. So for example, I bought this beautiful cream Alexander McQueen bag several years back, and I think I've worn it less than five times. And it is not a cheap bag. And that makes me sad. It really is gorgeous, but the color has been surprisingly hard for me to style. It's a different shade of ivory than my white boots and sandals. So I can't be matchy matchy with it like I do with other neutral accessories in my closet. And the color stands out against whatever I wear with it. Um, It's kind of like wearing black with an all white outfit. It's really stark and white for some reason does the same. So another item I regretted buying was a red St. Laurent bag I bought years ago. And I only wore that a handful of times. I don't love adding a pop of color to an outfit unless it coordinates with something. And I just don't own much red. And it also wasn't the right red for me. It was sort of a deeper red. And I love a bright red if I'm going to wear red. So anyway, it just like was not versatile and I just had a tough time styling it. These days, I generally stick to buying neutral bags since that's typically what I reach for. But if I do want to buy something brighter, I'll usually buy things I know will coordinate with it. Like when I bought that citron hued Bottega bag this past winter, I ordered it along with a coat and a few sweaters featuring the same color. So I know I'd be able to style it with at least a few things to get me started. It also looks great with white, but like you already know, I love to color coordinate and match. So finding those sweaters and that coat just made the full look. It was really fun. Another thing I regret that happened more recently was I bought a second pair of the leather Stuart Weitzman Lowland boots. They're the over the knee style that was very popular. I bought them for the first time in 2015 and wore them so much. They quite literally fell apart several years ago. They were such a useful shoe, so comfortable. And so when they fell apart, I immediately wanted to get another pair. And at the time, I think this was in 2020, maybe 2019, I was looking and they didn't have them. They were out or just weren't making them. And then last year, I think 2021, maybe, maybe 2020. I don't, I can't remember the exact timing of this. I saw that they were available again and bought them immediately, not even thinking that maybe I'd be over that look, but I bought them and then just never wore them. I just realized I was sort of over the look after wearing them for what, five years. So that was a pricey mistake that I regret. And I'd actually love to sell them if anyone is interested. So they're beautiful and new. They're a nine and a half and I've sadly never worn them, but they are the leather Stuart Weitzman Lowland boot, which is an over the knee style kind of fits like a glove and really comfortable and cute. Great for fall, winter, but It's just, I'm sort of over that look now. So moving on now, let's chat about trends that have grown on me and ones I just can't get into. So one trend that I'm surprisingly into right now, but not sure I'll get a ton of use out of is that of platform shoes. I think they look so fun and can really transform an outfit from cute to cutting edge. I have a pair of Prada platform sandals that I bought years ago, like maybe 2010 or 2011 that I've held on to. But I'm just now remembering this and could have worn them this summer. <laughs> I do think the platform shoe trend is here to stay for a while, though. So fingers crossed I can wear them next, next summer because they're really cute. In the meantime, I ordered a pair of Shoots platform pumps that are a great dupe to the popular Valentino style. So I'm going to try those and see how I feel about the look for fall winter. I'd love to be able to style them with shorter dresses and potentially jeans. So I'll report back once they've arrived in the mail. But from what I've seen, they look really cute on other people. I'm a little worried that I'm going to look like a monster in them because I'm already 5'9 and I think they're, what, seven inches tall. So (laughs) I'm going to be the tallest person wherever I go, but they look really cute. So hopefully they are. On the other side of things, a shoe trend I just can't get on board with is clogs. I feel like everyone has been asking me about them lately and I just, I don't like them. I've seen a couple of cute pairs from Veronica Beard and Lofla Randall, and I'm sure they're comfortable, but I mostly just think they look dumb. I just can't see myself wearing them. I would personally rather wear sneakers, ballet flats, or a comfortable pair of boots. I also don't love the chunky loafer look that's become popular again. So with the chunky loafer and the clogs, I generally avoid chunky, big rounded toes like that because I have bigger feet and those items just would accentuate that fact. 
um, and not be a flattering look. So that may be just my internalized reason for not liking them. But I also just don't think they're super cute. Another trend I've loved this year is the bright bag trend, which I know is contradictory to what I said earlier, but this year I was convinced into getting one and I'm so glad I did. And by convinced, I mean, I convinced myself I gave in to the trend, but I absolutely love it and especially loved wearing it in the winter to mix things up. The bright citron color I got, it was such a departure from my usual winter look and it made me feel fresh and fun in a sea of darker winter colors. It's such a great summer bag too, but I almost preferred it in the colder months and especially as we were heading into spring because it was so striking then. One trend that I am 100% not okay with and one that is coming back from the early aughts is the low-rise jean and pants look. It was a bad look then, it's a bad look now. And while we're on the subject of fashion repeating itself, I love when something old becomes new again. I love how trends tend to get recycled. There's something generally nostalgic about it and a bit exciting. But with that said, this nostalgia does not apply to everything. Like I said before, low-rise jeans are an absolutely not in my book and not something I'd ever like to wear again. I would say I'm generally not a fan of most trends from the 90s or 2000s coming back in style just because I grew up during those years and I'm still kind of traumatized by some of the things I wore back then. It's just a bit triggering to see those looks worshipped again. And I just personally don't have any interest of going back there. But the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 20s, those decades, bring it on. (laughs) I love those, but I'm just not interested in going back to what I wore in middle school and high school. At the end of the day, trends come and go. So I generally prefer to spend my money on items I know I'll wear season after season. Do I like to throw a trendy piece in there every once in a while? Absolutely. But I do think there's something to be said for having your own style and not just jumping on every hot trend that comes out with each new season. Keeping up with fashion trends is certainly fun and a great way to mix things up and keep your wardrobe feeling fresh. But for me personally, I get more use out of items that are versatile, wearable, and functional. Most trendy items don't meet all three of those qualifications, so just consider how much wear you'd get out of an item before spending a fortune on something that will likely age quickly. Now let's get into some of the listener questions you guys submitted on the topic of keeping up with fashion. First one reads, how do I stay stylish without wasting money on fast fashion? So first of all, I always recommend investing your money in high quality wardrobe staples and doing the trendy things just sporadically, not putting all of your money there. Consider the many capsule wardrobes I've created on my blog, for example. Each of them feature a selection of everyday staples you can mix and match with, as well as a couple of trendy seasonal items to keep things exciting and fresh. I personally like to add trendier pieces in the form of accessories, so shoes, for example. My jeans, blouses, sweaters, jackets, and coats are all pretty classic, but adding a fun statement shoe can totally transform the outfit. Sunglasses are also an easy way to work in a trend without spending a fortune on a whole new wardrobe. So my advice would be to start with stocking your closet with elegant, timeless staples and then throwing in a piece or two each season that pulls from the latest trends. I should also clarify, you don't need to invest in wardrobe staples. You can save here too. Mango, Mossimo Duty, and Koss are all great examples of brands that make amazing classic styles and are worth checking out if you're on a tighter budget. Think elegant blouses in solid colors, chic wrap coats, everyday sweaters. The quality of those brands because they're fast fashion may be hit or miss, but I found some real gems over the years from each of these brands. So even though they're fast fashion, and I know you said you don't want to waste money on fast fashion, I assume you mean just trendy clothes. They also have classic styles too that are great if you're on a budget. So I just want to make it clear you don't need to spend a fortune when it comes to wardrobe staples either. All right, the next question says, what is a trend from the past that you wish would come back? This is probably silly and dates me a little bit, but off-the-shoulder dresses and tops, those were hugely popular in the mid-2010s, but you see them far less now. I personally love that neckline and find it very flattering on my frame, so I would love to see a return of the -the off-the-shoulder neckline. I'd also love to see a return to classic cocktail dress shapes. So many of the ones available right now have big cutouts, ruching, asymmetrical hemlines. What happened to good old-fashioned fit and flare silhouettes? I'm sure many of you disagree and think those styles look dated or matronly, but I find them much more attractive and flattering than many of the current trendier styles. 
if I'm going to be spending a lot on a beautiful dress, I don't want it to look cheap, which I feel like with some of those details, like the ruching and the cutouts and the asymmetrical hemlines, they can. So I just prefer a classic look. What can I say? Do I need to get rid of all of my skinny jeans? No. So while I'm not wearing mine every day these days, I definitely still plan to wear my skinny jeans with boots this winter. You just can't tuck straight or white leg jeans into most tall boot styles. So I definitely wouldn't throw away your skinny jeans just yet. You're going to need them for some shoes, maybe not your flats or your pumps or anything like that, but definitely keep them for boots. While we're on the subject of jeans, what style of jeans are worth investing in and which are just trendy? So I'll be the first to admit I had a very difficult time adjusting to the skinny jeans are over mentality. I resisted it for a while, mostly because I find them to be more flattering on my figure than other jean styles, but I eventually gave in and ordered a few different styles to try. If you're still breaking out of your skinny jean phase like I was, a straight leg jean would be my first recommendation to invest in. Straight leg styles are what I would consider the current skinny jean, as in they're the most popular style and sort of the everyday look these days. A couple examples of the straight jean style that I really like are Citizens of Humanity Charlotte jeans and the A. Goldie 90s Pinchwaist jeans. They're both super high rise and longer, which is great for tall girls like myself. And then another denim style I've been buying more of lately is the Crop Flare. This style had a brief moment in the 2010s, but it is back with a vengeance. I'd say this is a slightly more trendy style than the straight leg style, but if you choose the right pair, they can be really versatile and flattering. For example, my Kate Vivian jeans, I've talked about them several times, I think, already on this podcast. The brand is K-H-A-I-T-E, and they are pretty expensive, but they're the perfect example of this. They are definitely one of my favorite purchases for fall and look so chic with everything. Flare and wide leg jeans are also trending right now, but I've always kind of considered them fall winter styles as opposed to a specific trend. I have a few pairs of flares I still wear from over the last several years. It's definitely not a new look. I'd say flares and wide leg styles are probably the least versatile of the ones I've mentioned and therefore the ones I would wait to invest in unless you really want to mix it up. With that said, I love wearing flares with pointed toe pumps, boots, and heeled sandals. And I think with the resurgence of platforms this season, flares would really come in handy. Continuing on on the subject of jeans, I got several questions related to what shoes to wear with straight leg jeans. I think it all comes down to the length of the jeans and where they hit you on your leg. So most of my straight leg jeans are a little longer. So the hem will skim or cover the top of most of my pointed ankle boots. I actually really like that look. The look I don't like is when you see a big section of skin between the top of the boot and the start of your jeans. So I would avoid cropped styles if you're trying to wear them with boots. I don't love I don't love seeing that extra skin. It just kind of cuts you off in a weird way. And it makes you look like you're wearing high water. So I would avoid that. Play with length. If you're wanting to wear straight leg jeans with boots, buy longer styles. And if they're more cropped, you'll probably want to stick with pumps, heeled sandals, mules, and sneakers. What items are most worth tailoring? I think this totally depends on the individual. If you're of average height and weight, you're more likely to find clothes that fit you pretty well off the rack and require less customization. If you're very petite or very tall, or perhaps you're plus size and struggle with finding clothes that you feel fit just right, you may want to take more items to be altered and adjusted. For me, I'm able to make most things work off the rack. If something doesn't fit right, I generally just don't buy it. The only times I really take things to be altered are if something is too long, like straps or pant hems, or if something needs taking in. Say I'm obsessed with a dress and it's perfect, but the darts aren't lined up where they should be, or there's some sort of gaping in the bodice. That's when I would take something to be tailored. But as far as what items are the most worth tailoring, I think it comes down to how clothes fit you and what items you wear and need the most. I do think pants are 100% worth tailoring simply because it's so hard to find a pair where the fit is just right. Oftentimes for me, they're too narrow in the hips, but fit at the waist. So on those occasions, I'll size up a full size and get them tailored. So the waist to hip ratio fits my body better. I also think cocktail dresses and pieces for important functions are worth tailoring. So say it's an important work event, a wedding or other celebratory occasion, I will definitely take something like that to be tailored if it's needed. But uh, like I said before, I think it all comes down to the person, uh, what items you think are worth having look fitted perfectly, what you need in your everyday life. So yeah, I don't have the money to invest in every trend now. So which are worth it and here to stay for a bit. 
Great question, but first I've got to say you definitely don't need to and shouldn't buy into every single trend. In fact, I'd say choose one and keep the rest of your wardrobe pretty classic so it won't age quickly over time. But in terms of trends I don't see going anywhere, platform shoes are definitely here to stay for a while. Every single designer has created a selection of platform sandals, pumps, and boots this season, from subtle to over the top. So I think it's safe to say that trend is sticking and won't be a one-hit wonder. Another trend I'm very into at the moment is power suits. Blazers have always been a style staple in my wardrobe, but lately we're seeing a lot of bold blazer and trouser combos. So think rich seasonal shades, daring patterns. What's great about the power suit is that you can wear them as separates with other items in your closet or style them together for a more modern look that packs a punch. It's also a work-friendly fashion trend for those of you who work in more corporate settings. So definitely a good one to consider. Western and cowboy boots are also still very much trending, but as I've said before, it's more of a lifestyle here in Texas than it is a trend, so I've been wearing them for years, but every shoe brand has some version of a cowboy boot or a Western-style boot this season, so definitely check that out. Bonus is they're very comfortable, and they look super cute with jeans and dresses alike, so I'm obviously a fan of that style. I wear I wear them year-round, um, but specifically in the fall-winter seasons. So cowboy and western boots are another good one if platforms may not be something you're that interested in. What are the best brands that are a step down from luxury brands like Chanel, Celine, Gucci, etc.? There are a lot. So some of my current favorites include Kate, which I mentioned before, and it's spelled K-H-A-I-T-E. The jeans, like I said, are incredible, and their bag styles are really chic. I'm also a new fan of Totem, which does a really, really wonderful job of high-end wardrobe staples. So think wool trousers, elegant striped cashmere sweaters, oversized blazers. Some others to look into include Isabel Morant, Nilly Lotan, Proenza Schooler, Acne Studios, J.W. Anderson, and Zimmerman. What are some trends you hated at first but slowly embraced? This happened to me with fanny packs. So I think one of them would be combat boots. When they first became popular several years back, I really avoided them, mostly because I thought they wouldn't look good on me. And I also have fairly classic style and couldn't really see myself wearing something like that. I didn't hate them, but I definitely didn't love them. But last fall, I finally cracked and ordered the Stuart Weitzman Colby combat boot. It's one of the few pairs out there that I felt looks like me and something that I would actually wear. They're not super chunky and they feature some glamorous details like this gold chain trim and just gold accents throughout that give it more of a feminine touch and just feel more like me. But that's like really the only one I can think of. I usually stick with my guns if there's a trend I don't like. Do you consider Stuart Weitzman 5050 boots timeless or trendy? So I owned the 5050 boots. I think I got them the year I graduated from SMU, so 2009. And I wore them to death until I traded them in for the leather lowland boots, which I mentioned earlier that I bought in 2015. So I wore them for about five years. And while I think both boots are still attractive and very wearable, the look does feel a little dated to me simply because I wore them so much and it feels like that was so long ago. I just personally wouldn't buy them again, but that's just me. And maybe just because I wore them myself. They're very comfortable and wearable and perfect for traveling in winter, though. So if that's something you're looking for, I say get them. I just think I'm sick of them because I wore them so much in my early 20s. Is it better to match or not match your bag to your shoes? How do you coordinate your accessories with your outfits? I'm personally very matchy-matchy, which I feel like probably isn't great. Like I feel like people who are more stylish are better at doing the mismatch look very well, and I'm just not. But I think it's also just me being neurotic. I just like to match. So I always like one item I'm wearing to match something else. Perhaps that's black jeans and a black bag, and then the shoes can be another color, or maybe the jacket and the shoes match, but the bag can be another color. Otherwise, I'd like my bag and shoes to coordinate. I just, I don't want there to be one color that feels off. I want it to all kind of coordinate and mesh well. If it's not going to be super matchy-matchy, I'd rather it just look seamless. I don't want something to look out of place. For the average person who can't afford high-end but also doesn't want to purchase the cheap stuff, what brands have the best quality for the best price? If you're looking for casual wardrobe staples, you can't beat Everlane. They have everything from cozy cashmere sweaters to cute and comfy chino pants to puffer coats for winter, and the price point can't be beat. A step up from Everlane in both price point and quality is Kuyana. 
Rihanna's overall vibe is definitely more elevated too, a little more sophisticated and dressed up than Everlane. The price point is on the lower end of contemporary pricing with most of their gorgeous bags and clothing priced under $300. So this is a great spot to snag quality wardrobe staples like silk blouses, trousers, cashmere sweaters, trenches, cardigans, and coats. And like I said, their bags are gorgeous. They're all um, 100% leather, cute styles, great color options. So Kuyana is another great label to check out. What are three pieces you invested in last fall that you were happy to pull out again this season? I can't wait to pull out my Stuart Weitzman combat boots again. I wore them like almost every day in the winter last year. <laughs> I also can't wait to wear those feather trim sweaters I got from the Neiman Marcus cashmere collection again. They look super cute with jeans and skirts alike. I love wearing them with boots and I just love the feather trim. It's such a fun and unique detail and just looks so chic. And then the third item I'd probably say is this neutral sweater I got from, uh, I can't remember the name of the label. I think it's a female designer, but I got it on major sale during a Net-A-Porter end of season sale last winter. And I wore it a bunch before spring came. But it's, like I said, kind of an oatmeal color. This drape detail you kind of throw around your neck like a scarf. I just thought it was so chic. I loved the way it looked with winter white. So I just can't wait to pull that out again. It was so darling. Do you keep certain pieces you don't intend to wear again for your personal fashion archive? You know, I've never really thought about it that way, but I should. I definitely hold on to things longer than I should, usually in hopes that something that used to fit me when I was skinnier will fit me again. But there are absolutely things I want to hold on to just because they're fabulous. So maybe I'll start doing that. Any advice on how to stay fashionable, but also age appropriate? So I'm going to use my mom as an example here. She's incredibly fashionable and always looks so chic. Her age has not stopped her from trying out new trends and buying the coolest shit. So in fact, just last week, she bought a pair of platform sandals for fall winter. They're not as tall as the ones she originally wanted, the Valentino platform pump, but she found a pair that's more comfortable and wearable and that's still very much on trend. She knows what looks great on her, so she sticks to a lot of similar silhouettes. Think chic power suits, a blouse and skirt combo, or an A-line knee-length or midi dress. She also loves jeans, but she almost always wears a belt to draw eyes to the waist. The only thing she's really started to avoid lately are sleeveless styles and shorter dresses and skirts. Otherwise, she's generally wearing cooler stuff than I am. Age does not mean a damn thing. So my advice, take it or leave it, is to wear what you feel most confident and comfortable in and just rock it. Just like my advice earlier on in this segment, stock your wardrobe with timeless pieces and then pack a punch with a few trendy items each season to keep your closet feeling fresh. Since I answered a bunch of listener questions as part of the fashion segment today, I'm going to end the episode here, but I definitely want to encourage you guys to keep calling into the hotline and to submit your questions for the beck and call segment at the end of each episode. The number is 214-620-0473, or you can submit them via email to info at beckandcallpodcast.com. My inbox is always open and no topic is off limits. So let me be at your beck and call and I'll answer your question in a future episode. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and follow along on Instagram at Beck and Call Podcast for episode visual guides, behind the scenes content, audio clips, and more. Thanks again for tuning in and I will catch you guys next week. Bye.